Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Wrapping up our series today, if you've not been with us over the last five or six weeks, we've been walking through this Gospel of Mark and looking at some of the uh, the different locations that Jesus spent time with his disciples. We've called the series In His Steps because we are learning to walk in the steps of Jesus just as he called his early disciples to follow him and come and be uh, fishers of men that he calls us into that same vocation and into that same calling. And so we've been doing that and traveling along with Jesus. And then uh, we've kind of ended now in this week with Jesus uh, on a cross and giving his life up for the sins of all mankind. And then today, as we get into Mark's gospel in chapter 16, we find that Jesus is risen. And so we've just read that and we've heard that story. And so here's what we're going to find today. If you have uh, been in a place before following someone's death, you know that there are all kinds of emotions that go into that. And the disciples are no different. The people who were following Jesus, I mean, if you can imagine what Friday was like for the disciples, that they saw Jesus be brutally murdered. Several of them were at the crucifixion and watched Jesus be murdered and had his life taken from him. And so if you imagine what that's like, uh, following someone and dealing with those kinds of emotions. And for the disciples of Jesus, there's a lot that's going into this. I mean, a lot of them are feeling guilt and shame and anger and frustration. Uh, there are so many things that are, that are just being felt by all of Jesus' disciples after his death. And the greatest one probably is just a feeling of grief, that they've lost the one that they love, that they lost their, their, their mentor, they've lost their rabbi, they've lost the one that's taught them this new way of God's kingdom. And so if you've lost someone before, and maybe suddenly or tragically you've had a, a loss in your life, uh, somebody from your family has, has passed away, you know what that feels like, that there's incredible grief that goes with that. And that there are feelings and emotions that we can't even fully grasp or understand. I've heard it be described, and when I've done counseling with people before, they just describe it as being in a fog. It's just going, you know, I, I was just, I couldn't think straight. Uh, I, I had conversations with people, but I didn't remember when I walked away from them what we talked about. Uh, I, I just didn't feel like I grasped or understood things. There were times when people would say, I feel panicked in one moment and completely at peace in the next you know, like it's all these emotions that go in. There's people who will say, well, I can't focus, I can't sleep, I can't eat. Uh, and all of these things play in when we lose someone tragically. And that's exactly what Jesus' disciples are experiencing. And the, the women who had followed Jesus in his ministry are feeling and thinking they've gone through something incredibly painful. And for some of them, when you think about how they got this news, it wasn't like somebody called them up, right? Like they didn't knock on their door and tell them, hey, Jesus has died. Many of them were there watching the events unfold. That they had seen Jesus be brutally beaten and then carry a cross to a hill where he was crucified. They had watched the Roman soldiers drive spikes into his hands and his feet. They had seen all of the pain and anguish and agony that Jesus had gone through. And so they are experiencing this firsthand and knowing what he, witnessed, what he experienced. Uh, and the Romans had taken this, uh, this form of crucifixion, this form of torture, and had perfected it. Like they were using this as a weapon against their enemies. So they would line the streets heading into Jerusalem with bodies hanging on crosses to say, if you come against Rome, this is what you can expect to happen to you. Like it is meant to deter people from ever doing anything to rebel against Rome. 
and their authority. And so these women and these men had watched Jesus go through this. And when we read about the story this morning that we're going to see, they're not only suffering from grief, they're probably also in shock. And maybe they even have what we would now today call PTSD, right? That they've been in a moment where there's just unbelievable suffering that they've experienced and watched firsthand. And now as they see this take place and they watch Jesus die, and they see him buried in a tomb, their dreams, their hopes, their ambitions, everything they have attached their life to over the last three years is gone. And they're like, man, did, did we miss it? Did we, are we, were, did we follow the wrong guy? Was, did we miss his story? What was going on? Where do we, how do we understand what's just taking place here? They had no concept that Jesus was going to give his life up and then come back to life again. Even though he had told them multiple times, remember we looked at that last week, that multiple times on his journey into Jerusalem, Jesus would stop along the way and tell them, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. But in three days, I'm going to rise again. But they had no grasp of what Jesus was really talking about. Who comes back to life, right? What does that even mean? And so we understand when we read the story this morning where we pick up what's taking place and the emotions and the feelings that especially these women are going through. If you have your Bible, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, here's what we read. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Right, so Mark starts by telling us when the Sabbath was over, the Sabbath or Shabbat was the day of worship for the Jewish people. It begins on, at sundown on Friday, and it goes through sundown on Saturday. So very early on the first day of the week, that next morning, Sunday morning, this is why we celebrate on Sundays and why we gather as a church on Sundays, because this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so very early in the next morning, the women begin to go to the tomb, and they're going to anoint Jesus's body. Like if you remember, Jesus had to be taken off of the cross hastily on that Friday because Sabbath was beginning. And they didn't want to have to do anything. They can't work on Sabbath. They weren't allowed to bury people on Sabbath. So they took Jesus' body after he had died off of the cross. They hastily wrapped him in some cloths that Joseph of Arimathea bought. They placed him in a borrowed tomb that Joseph loaned to them and said, you can use my tomb for the body of Jesus. And they buried him, but then they didn't have time as the Sabbath was beginning to, to fully anoint his body and to put spices on his body to prevent what would take place with the smell of decay. And so they were going to go back after the weekend. Hey, after the Sabbath is over, we'll go back. 
and we'll anoint his body then. And so it says that they went and they bought spices and perfumes and they were going to go back. But remember, they're dealing with all these emotions and all this distress and they're not thinking clearly. And so halfway to the tomb, one of the women says to the other, hey, didn't they put a huge rock in front of the tomb, right? Like, like how are we going to get there and remove that thing? And what's, that gonna, what's it going to take for us to move the stone to be able to go into where Jesus' body is? How are we even going to do that? Like, they're not thinking clearly. They're in a position just like you and I would be. But the truth is, is at least that they were there. The men didn't even show up at all, right? Like, where are Jesus' disciples in all of this? That they're back hiding somewhere. That they're afraid that the Romans are going to do to them the same thing that they just did to Jesus. Because of their association with Jesus, maybe their life is in jeopardy. And so they're kind of hiding. So these women are at least going to the tomb. And so here's what we see in all of that. And I think it's so beautiful is that we start to understand that they're human just like us. That the people we read about in scripture, they're human. They're flawed. They make mistakes. That They're not perfect. That they're just like us. They experience emotion just like we do. And to me, it's one of the reasons that I feel like we can trust the Bible so, uh, so much in its entirety is that we see this and we're like, they are willing to show us their warts and their flaws and all of their faults. Like they're not trying to make this, perf- this story perfect. If they were writing this from the perspective of going, man, we want to make sure that everybody knows how awesome we were and how incredible we did and that this was, you know, like a perfect story and that Jesus told us that he was going to raise from the dead after three days, they would have written it where they were standing in front of the tomb with popcorn ready, right? Like the stone's going to roll away and we're just waiting like the movie's starting, right? Like we can't wait to watch this. It's going to be incredible. You guys ready? It's been, it's day three now and the stone's going to roll away and angels and lights and all the kind of stuff. Like it's all going to happen. It's going to be crazy. And we were right there to watch it. But that's not what they tell us, right? It says that nobody was there. The women were going to go with spices and perfumes to anoint his body. Why? They thought he was dead. They fully anticipated getting there and finding a tomb with a body in it. They fully anticipated having to go in and put spices all around him. They fully anticipated seeing his broken body laying there in that tomb. And yet when they get there, there's something different that happens. There's an angel that's sitting in the place of Jesus. And the angel does two things. Number one, he gives them a message of hope. And then number two, he gives them a command, right? And so here's the message of hope. He says, he's risen. He's not here. This is the message of hope for us, right? Like he says, I want you to know that you're in the right location, number one, that they're not, they didn't come to the wrong tomb. There are a lot of people who go, well, the, the women just went to the wrong place and in their grief and all their emotions, they didn't go to the right place. What does the angel tell him? He goes, you're looking for Jesus, right? Like, yeah, like, but there's a lot of people, Jesus in the Hebrew would have been Yeshua. So there's a lot of people named Yeshua, right? And so they're like, you're looking for Yeshua, the Nazarene, right? He was from Nazareth. That's the one you're looking for. Like, right, right, right. And he's like, and he was the one that was crucified, right? And they're like, yeah, that's the one. Like, they have the right location. They're in the right place. It is Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And the angel goes, yeah, he's not here. He's been risen. He has come back to life just like he said that he would. And that is far and away the best news you'll ever hear. Like this is the news that everything else hinges on for us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is the greatest news you'll ever hear. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, this is the greatest news you'll ever hear. This is better news for you than finding out you're going to get a raise at work. 
This is better news than you finding out that you're pregnant. This is better news than you finding out that your kids passed their test that they've been studying for. This is better news than anything that you could possibly imagine or dream up. It's better to go, Jesus is alive. And why is that better news? Why is this the greatest thing we've ever heard? It's the greatest thing we've ever heard because if Jesus, who proclaimed himself the Messiah, if he said he was the Savior of the world and that it all hinged on him dying and coming back to life, if he did that, then it means he was right. That he really is the Savior of the world. That he really is the Messiah who can pay for our sins. That he really is the way to God. If this is true, then Jesus' claims are right. That's why it's the best news ever. The second reason it's great news for us is that if Jesus rose from the dead, the New Testament writers tell us that like Jesus came back to life, we will also be raised to be like him. The death is not the end for us. That this is a temporary place that we live on this planet, but when we die, we're not going to just be dead and gone and our memory erased forever. We are going to live on and we're going to be with him. And in the same way that he raised Christ from the dead, God is going to raise us from the dead. And that he is going to give us life eternally with him. This is great news for us. I think that we have hope beyond this world that we have something to live for that's bigger than us. The message of Christianity is a message of hope. Everything else in your world may be falling apart, but there's a Savior who came back to life to give you a message of hope. So the angel gives the, the women this message. This is the message of hope. He's alive, he's risen, he's come back, and you have hope as well because of this. And so we take this message and we live in this peace that God gives to us. And then, secondly, the angel gives a command. He goes, go and tell. And here's what verse 7 says. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Right? So, of course, you should want to go and tell people about Jesus being alive. If you get great news, you go and tell people, right? Like, we don't have any problem telling people good news. We love to share good news. Uh, Men, we're especially like this. We'll share all kinds of news. It doesn't have to be good news. It's just got to be news, right? Uh, I think especially like uh, stuff that we do around the house. Anything that men do, they want to tell somebody about it, right? Guys, you ever been there before? I know I'm like this. Y'all are going to make me feel like I'm the only one, aren't you? No, Pastor, you're the only guy that does this. Hey, I will tell my wife if I took a plate to the sink and put it in there. I I took my plate and put it up. I put it to the dishwasher this time, right? Like it got all the way in the dishwasher, baby. It's great, right? I want to tell her. I want to tell her good news. I'll tell her, hey, man, you know, that, the, you know those laundry, that laundry you had in the washing machine? I moved it over to the dryer. She's like, did you start it? Well, no, but I got it over to the dryer, right? I remember a couple of years ago, my family went out of town for a week. It was probably spring break like we just had. And, uh, and so the, the couple of days or the day before they were coming back, I was like, I'm going to do something great so that when my wife comes home, she's just going to be able to come in and enjoy it. I'm going to clean up the house. I'm going to do the carpets. I'm going to mop the hardwoods. I'm going to clean the bathrooms. Like, it's going to be awesome. And so I spent like a whole night just cleaning our house and straightening things up and getting it ready. And so that when she came home, she would just be able to relax. And so that night, I told her everything I'd done. Hey, <laughs> Guess what? When you come home tomorrow, I clean, I vacuumed and I did the floors and the toilets are clean. Like it's all. And she went, yeah, I did that right before we left. I was like, well, you should have told me because that's what men do. We tell things, you know, if you told me, then I wouldn't have done that. Right. But she didn't tell me. But we love to tell good news. We love to tell things. And so that's why it's so crazy what we read 
in Mark's gospel, when we see this in verse 8, it says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were terrified. And when you read that, you're like, that's how Mark just closes his gospel? Like, that's the end? Like, that, that's it. Like, when you read, you get down to verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out. They fled from the tomb. They told nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Like, well, that is a terrible, terrible end to the gospel. Right? Well, like, they should have told someone. Why didn't they tell somebody? What do you mean they didn't tell anybody? If it had been me, I would have told somebody. And that's exactly where Mark intends to leave us. To make that same declaration of ourselves. Do you tell people about Jesus? If we're going to ask and go, what do, you, what do you mean they didn't say anything? You're supposed to tell people this message. And then we go, but do we tell people this message? When's the last time we shared the hope that we have in Jesus with somebody else? What, what do you mean they didn't tell anybody? What do you mean we don't tell other people? Why? And we know that the women eventually do go back and they share with the disciples. The other gospels make that clear, right? That's why we have such great uh, opportunities to know from other gospels how things have played out and what helps us make the story all come together and make sense. The other gospels tell us that the women went back and they told uh, the, the disciples and Peter and, and then the disciples shared Jesus with the world and everything happened the way that it was supposed to, right? Uh, someone, in fact, did not like the end of Mark's gospel so much that they wrote an addendum to the end of Mark's gospel. Some of you might be going, um, mine doesn't end with verse eight. I have a nine through 20. What's wrong with your Bible? Uh, hopefully when you read that, you'll also see a footnote with it that says the earliest manuscripts and some of the ancient witnesses do not have verses nine through 20, right? So the earliest manuscripts we have of Mark's gospel end with him saying, and the women left the tomb and they didn't tell anybody. And somebody went, that is a terrible, terrible way to end the gospel, Mark. We got to make sure that people know. We got to tell them. And so somebody comes along and they go, hey, we want you to know that they did go and tell and that they did see Jesus again. And the gospel writers did go to the whole world and all kinds of crazy signs were accompanied, the message of Jesus. And it all happened the way that it was supposed to. But before we see all of that take place, we start to understand that there's something else that's going on here that the angel had to say to the women at the tomb. When they tell them who they're supposed to go and to tell this news to, He'll say, go tell his disciples, and what? And Peter. Right, like why in the world does the angel single Peter out? Is it because Peter's so important to the story? I don't think so. I think it's because Peter was living in a place of guilt and shame and regret that if they had gone back and just said, Jesus is back alive and he wants to see all of you guys again, he's going to be up in Galilee. We got to walk there that Peter would have felt like, not me. I don't think that invitation's open to me anymore. Because on the night that Jesus had been taken to trial, Peter had had a conversation with Jesus. When Jesus had said, hey, somebody's going to betray me, they're going to take me and they're going to crucify me and I'm going to die. And Peter goes, no, Lord, never. We'll never let that happen to you. In fact, I'll go to my death with you if that's what it takes. I'll go to prison with you. I'll go to death with you. But then what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed? Peter denies him three times. Peter's in the courtyard and he denies Jesus. 
And so he's living with this unbelievable shame because of how he's failed Jesus. And I think that's why Jesus is, why the angel has to come and tell this, this woman, hey, when you go back and you find the disciples, tell them and Peter, make sure Peter knows he's invited. Because Peter's living in guilt and regret and shame and he feels all of the same things that many of us feel a lot of the time. That we go, man, I, I've failed God in some way. I've not lived up to the things that, I, that God's asked me to do. I'm living with guilt and regret. My sin is overwhelming to me. And I don't know if God still has a place for me in his story. And I think Peter's saying those same kinds of things. I'm not sure if God still has a place for me in his story. So I don't know if I'm invited. So the angel says, you go and you make sure that Peter knows he's to come too. And so when we read John's gospel, we find out that Peter does in fact go to Galilee with the others. But once he gets there, something happens that's life-changing. And so here's what we find in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So seven of the original disciples, there are 11 at this point, uh, Judas took his life, so it went from 12 to 11, and seven of them are here with Peter. In verse 3, says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So a few just points of interest to kind of look at in this story. Number one, Peter doesn't just go back to fishing. He takes people with him. Like if you remember in the story, this was Peter's occupation before Jesus called him. He's a fisherman. And Jesus had called him away from that. Hey, Peter, I'm going to call you to be a fisher of men. We're going to leave the fish behind. I got some different things I want you to go after. Some different pursuits that I have for your life. And so when Peter says, I'm going to go fishing, I think this is a career move for Peter. Like this is not just somebody going, hey, you want to go fish tonight? Number one, you don't fish all night for fun. This is something that they're used to doing as part of their career. They fish, they bring in the haul, they bring it to market, they sell the fish, they take care of their family that way. Peter's going, guys, we're back here at the Sea of Galilee where we grew up. Let's go back to doing what we did before. 
And this is devastating because Peter doesn't just go do it. He takes others with him, right? He's a leader. And now he's got other guys abandoning the mission and going with him to go back to fishing. And so when I see this, I see this kind of career call. And I would associate it maybe this way to some kind of just current modern kind of things. A couple of years ago when Tom Brady retired from football, and after just a couple of months, there started being these rumors, maybe Tom's going to come back. And then Tom held a press conference and said, I'm coming back to play football again. Nobody in the world thought Tom meant that was, he was going to take a football into the backyard with his kids and start throwing it around, Right? This wasn't going to be more family time for him. This was a career move. I'm coming out of retirement. I'm coming back to what I know. And I'm going to do this thing again that I've had my whole life built around. I don't know what to do without this, so I'm going to come back to it. That's Peter in this moment. Peter's going, I don't know what else to do. I've failed Jesus. I've kind of abandoned that part of my life, so I guess I'm just going to go back to fishing. And he takes other people back with him. But then they're fishing all night and they don't catch anything. And so Jesus calls out to them after this night of disappointment and says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Actually, the translation there is better uh, little boys. He calls them children. Hey, little boys, right? I mean, I have two boys, two sons now. They're getting into their high school teenage years. And, but I can remember when they were little and they would fight with each other and they wouldn't even hear mom and I talking to them. And every now and then I would just have to go, little boys. And that would get their attention, right? And so these guys have been fishing out on the boat all night. And Jesus goes, hey, little boys, did you catch anything? And the answer is so perfect, right? They just go, no. <laughs> like, we're not very good at this, apparently. And the honest truth is it's the grace of God that doesn't allow them to catch a fish that night. And when Jesus calls out to them, he goes, guys, this is a terrible career move for you. This isn't working out. This lifestyle that you're running to that you think is going to bring you hope, it's not going to work. I've called you to something else. Come back and follow me. And then he goes, well, here's what I want you to do. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Throw it out on the right side of the boat, right? He gives them specific instructions. And as soon as they do, what happens? The net fills up with fish. And they start pulling in this huge haul. Now, if you're hearing that story this morning and you're like, that sounds really familiar. It should. It's the same thing Jesus did the first time he met Peter. That when Jesus enters into relationship with Peter, they've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. They're cleaning their nets after a long night of disappointment. And then Jesus gets in Peter's boat and teaches from the boat to the people who are standing on the shore. And then when he's done teaching, he goes, hey, Peter, put out into the water. Let's go fish. And Peter's like, we did that all night. He's going to know. Let's go. Throw the net on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, oh yeah, I never thought of that before, right? Like I'm, I'm a professional fisherman here and your advice is throw it on the other side. He's like, no, 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 just trust me. And that's exactly what happens. They throw the net out. It fills up with fish so much that the nets start breaking as they're hauling it into their boats, their boats start sinking. They have to call their partners to come over with their boats and get fish in their boats. This is the way Jesus had called Peter originally. And now after Peter's failure of Jesus, when he denied him three times, and the next meeting that Jesus has here with Peter in this moment on the Sea of Galilee, he recreates the miracle that he called him with originally. 
And it's in that moment that the Bible says that John looks at the shore and goes, Peter, it's Jesus. That's Jesus up on shore. He's done this for you, Peter. Like John realizes what's going on. Peter, that's Jesus and this is for you. He's recreating this for you. And then Peter does something crazy. The Bible says that he's been fishing. He doesn't even have his clothes on. And he puts on his outer garment and he jumps in the water to go swim. Now, I don't know about you, but typically when I swim, I like to be wearing as little as possible. The bathing suit is fine. Putting on your outer garments, like if you watch movies and there's somebody who's drowning in the water, what do they do? They take off the jacket, they take off the boots, they take everything off and they jump into the water. Peter's not thinking straight. He's like, put on your clothes, get in and swim, right? It's like crazy. And then the Bible says that as he's swimming back to the shore, the disciples are in the boat and he goes, they were only like 100 yards away from the shore, so they just rowed back in. Like I imagine them passing Peter going, come on, buddy, let's go, right? And they're hauling all the fish in and Peter's just swimming as hard as he can. And he gets up onto the shore and Jesus is waiting for them. And when they get there, Jesus doesn't need their fish. He's already got a fire burning on the shore and he's cooking some fish on it. And John gives us a detail. And I don't know if you picked it up on this or not, but when we read the story, it says that John or that Jesus had built a charcoal fire. And that's interesting because there's only one other place in the New Testament that a charcoal fire is mentioned. Fire is found all over the Bible, right? Like it is crazy. Things are burning up all the time. God burns down cities. God sends fire on altars to, to anoint sacrifices. Like there's fire everywhere all over the Bible. But when you see this charcoal fire, the only other place than this beach where Jesus is making breakfast that it appears is in the courtyard where Peter warmed his hands while Jesus was on trial. Jesus brings Peter back to the moment of his disappointment. He brings Peter back to the moment of his greatest failure. And when you can just imagine Peter walking up on shore and seeing that fire and going, oh man, not that again, right? And I want you to hear this, that Jesus doesn't do that to hurt Peter. Like that's not the intent at all. Jesus brings Peter back to this moment where Peter's failure had taken place to heal Peter. I think this is Jesus saving Peter's life. I think this is Jesus bringing Peter to a place and going, yes, you failed. Yes, there was, there was sin. Yes, there was rebellion against me. But Peter, that's not the end of your story. Listen, if you have cancer and you go to a doctor, they don't prescribe to you a massage. Like going, hey, here's how we're going to deal with this. Just write a script, go get a massage. It's going to feel great. You're going to love it. You're going to be so relaxed and loose and if you have cancer in your body, a doctor is going to cut you open and go to the source of that. Not to hurt you, but to heal you. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's not intending to hurt Peter. He's intending to heal him. And Jesus will do this with us, where he'll bring us to a place of our failures occasionally. And he'll deal with things head on, not because he hates you. He doesn't berate Peter. He makes him breakfast, right? When Peter gets to the shore, that fire is there cooking food for him to eat. He calls him into fellowship. A meal is one of the most intimate things that you could do in Hebrew culture. And so Jesus brings him to this fire to serve him breakfast. And some of us see Jesus as being angry at us when we sin, when we have failure in our life, when we go against the will of God. 
and we just see Jesus or we see God as being angry and wanting to throw lightning bolts at us and send fire down from heaven on top of us and always to keep us in that place of guilt and shame, Peter doesn't get back onto the beach and Jesus go, what are you doing, Peter? Why are you out there on the boat? I called you to fish for men. You're back there with fish again. What are you doing? That's not Jesus' tone. Jesus brings him to the shore where this fire's built and he has a food waiting for him. He says, Peter, I want to feed you breakfast. And then Jesus takes Peter and he has a conversation. And we see a series of questions. Actually, it's one question asked three times. And Jesus just says, Peter, do you love me more than these? It's the first question Peter gets asked. Peter, do you love me more than these? And you're like, what is more than these? And there's some debate about that in scholarship. Some people think that Jesus is pointing at the disciples and going, hey, Peter, do you love me up more than all the other guys? Some people think it's the fish that Jesus is cooking. The language in the Greek will allow for that. That he's going, Peter, do you love me more than fish? Is it me or the fish, Peter? Which, which one are you going to choose? Honestly, it could be both. Jesus could be looking at somebody, one of his disciples with a fish in his mouth going, Peter, do you love me more than these? It's like, the disciples, the fish, yep, yeah, pick one. Like, I don't know, pick, right? Do you love me? And Peter has to go, yes, I love you. And Jesus goes, then feed my lambs. And then he asks him again, hey, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. He goes, then take care of my sheep. And then the Bible says a third time, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? It says that Peter was hurt by this. That Jesus would ask him a third time, do you love me? But how many times did Peter deny Jesus? He denied him three times. So Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. And he just simply says, then feed my sheep. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's pointing Peter forward. He's going, there's still a mission for you in my kingdom, Peter, but you've got to leave the fish and you've got to start thinking about the sheep. Peter, I'm about to build my church and there are sheep that are out there who need shepherds, Peter, and I've invested in you and I've poured into you and I am healing you in this moment so that you lead my sheep. Sheep are stupid. They just are. I don't know if you've been around sheep very much at all, but they're not real bright. Uh, they're mostly blind. They follow a shepherd's voice. Uh, otherwise, they'll just like run off of cliffs and stuff. Uh, and so I want you to kind of see a picture of this this morning, of what it looks like for us to be rescued by Jesus and how sometimes we will go after Jesus rescues us and we'll just go get right back in trouble again. And so there's a video clip that I want to show you uh, of a sheep that has been, uh, that has gotten found in a spot of trouble and a little boy gets the sheep out of trouble and you would feel like, okay, man, as a shepherd, I've done my job, this sheep is safe. And then I want you just to check out this sheep. So here we go. I was asked to tell you that no sheep were harmed in the making of that video. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, apparently to stay out of 
Peter's trouble weight or something. Um, I just love the sound effects. I think that's great. And man, how many of us would feel like that sheep? God's rescued us. He's brought us out of our sin, out of our shame, out of our guilt. He's placed us on solid standing with him. And then we'll just run away from it and dive right back into trouble again, right? And we find ourselves right back in a hole. But Jesus is so kind. And he does the same thing with Peter that this little boy probably did with that sheep is he just goes and he pulls him back out of the hole again and puts him back. Peter, do you love me? If you jump in a hole, I'm going to pull you out again. Peter, do you love me? If you jump in a hole, I'm going to pull you out again. Peter, do you love me? And he does the same thing for every one of us. And so this morning, I don't know where you find yourself as you think about this message and this passage of Scripture, but Jesus is going to do one more thing to restore Peter that's going to be helpful for us. He's going to remind him of the conversation they had the night that Jesus died when Peter promised that he would die for Jesus. And that's that story again. Peter says, hey, no, even if I have to go to the grave or to death with you or to jail with you, I'll do it. And so Jesus comes back in John 21 and says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And so we're going to sing one last song this morning, just a time for us to respond to God and, and to listen to his voice. But here's what I want us to see. Wherever you find yourself today, when Jesus calls Peter again, says, hey, you promised that you would go to jail or even to death with me. And then he tells him, that's exactly what's going to happen to you, Peter. When you were young, you dressed yourself. But when you're old, somebody else is going to dress you. They're going to lead you by the hands. They're going to stretch out your arms. And they're going to take you to places you don't want to go. Peter was crucified just like Jesus was. And so he says this was told to Peter to indicate the kind of death that he would die to glorify God. And then Jesus said, hey, follow me. Follow me. And so maybe you're here today going, you know what? I don't care a thing about God. I don't care a thing about this Jesus. I don't care a thing about any of this stuff you're talking about. I'm just here to make somebody happy today, and that's all. And if we could wrap this up, that'd be great, right? And maybe that's you today. And I want you to know if that's you, Jesus loves you. And that he comes to you over and over and over again with patience and endurance to offer you hope. And he'll say, I love you. Do you love me and will you follow me? And his invitation stands for you. If you're somebody who feels like, man, you're just a long way from God right now, you've followed him, you know him, you've trusted him with your life, but for whatever reason, you've just gone away from him and you've lived in some rebellion, and you're living in sin, and you've just jumped back into that same hole that you were in before Jesus found you. Jesus is saying to you this morning, man, I'm here to pick you up and to pull you back out, and I'm going to proclaim again to you that I love you, and it's time to move forward. Feed my sheep. Come back with me and follow me. 
And then others of you, man, you are just walking with Jesus. None of us are perfect, but you love him and you're following him to the best of your ability. And you love him and you're like, man, I just want to be like the angel said, go and tell people, then go, go do it. Let's get beyond the end of Mark's gospel where it says they were terrified and they didn't tell anybody. It's our call to go and tell. So how will you respond today? As we sing this last song, somebody here maybe just needs to repent of sin and ask God to forgive them and ask God to change your life. Because of the cross, because of his resurrection, you have hope. And that hope is available to you today. Others of you may just need to say, God, I'm ready. I'm going to go. I want to be a part of your glory in this world to tell the good news and to share it with others. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.